that last verse, it says, and preach to thee, as love knows how, by, what does it say? What kind of words? Idly words, and virtuous life. Uh, one thing that uh, Brother Friend and I have enjoyed talking over the last few days, we came Friday night, it's been a good time of fellowship, we meal together, and uh, we've got to do some outreach yesterday, great time together, and with our children, we, we both have uh, two-year-olds, and what an exciting time of life that is. Uh, and we were reciting the verse sometimes with our children as they were playing uh, when uh, when they started being children. Um, he said, uh, and be ye, and they're like, yes, kind one to another. And uh, they had to be reminded of that a few times. Uh, mine definitely did. But you know, um, be ye kind one to another is something that we as adults need to be reminded of. And uh, we're going to please the Lord in the light that's leading to God. Uh, Brother Ferran, in a minute, is going to come up and his wife is going to sing. But before they do that, I want to share something with you fathers, uh, because as pastor, uh, I want to pastor you for a moment, all right? Joshua chapter 24, you have a Bible in front of you in the pew, Joshua in chapter 24, and uh, ladies, there's something here for you too, so you can join us as well, Joshua 24, verse 15. Joshua was a very, very valiant man who served the Lord, he was faithful to the Lord, he was faithful to Moses, and he had to wait 40 years because of the rebellion of his mothers. And uh, he had a good attitude still after all of that, and served the Lord with joy. I want you to notice verse 14, and then we're going to jump down and focus on verse 15. He says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity, and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And he challenged them to serve the Lord. But I think Joshua knew, because he had been with Moses, that the people of God had a habit of forgetting the word of God. And we quickly will say, yes, Lord, and then we'll do something opposite. And so he continued, verse 15, And if it be evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve, look at what he says. Let's say it together. As for me and my house, he says, we're going to serve the Lord. It is a great joy to serve the Lord. And my friend, uh, is serving the Lord just going to church? I mean, sometimes that's about as far as it gets. Uh, serving the Lord is way more than just going to church. And fathers, uh, this is a challenge to you about how to be a godly father. I'm going to share with you a few thoughts from this verse. A biblical dad is a distinct, set-apart individual dedicated to a fixed goal. A distinct, set-apart individual dedicated to a fixed goal. Say, what's the fixed goal? Uh, the fixed goal is uh, we have a burden that our kids grow up to love Jesus. And uh, we, we realize that many don't grow up to love Jesus. And so because of that... A dad with a fixed goal has this thing in mind. You know what? I'm constantly watching the heart of my child. Each one's different. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bring the child up in the way he should go. None of them are going to be exactly the same. But because as a father, we love our child. We must, once we get saved, and mother's the same for us, uh, the same for mother, we must try to nurture them in the ways of God. And don't you believe a child can get saved? If mom gets saved late in life, the child can still get saved. Amen? Uh, if the dad gets saved late in life, the child can still get saved. Um, we don't need to make excuses for the past. We need to live up in the present, pleasing God. And by the way, they'll know where our heart is. They'll see the way we love God, God's people, 
see the way we love the pastor, and it will show, and they will choose to serve our God if we love our God and God's people. He says, if it be evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day. He lays out for them a choice. Joshua knew these people were so double-minded, and he had spent 40 years wandering around watching all of his relatives die off, along with Caleb. Can you imagine that? You watch all of your, you watch millions of people just die because they rebelled against God. I mean, he spent his life having funeral services. That was Joshua's life. Watching all the people die off. All the other spies, all the people who rebelled against God, and here he gets to come on. And you know what? God's preserved his life, and now at the end here, he is in his 80s, and he goes and conquers a mountain. He goes on and serves God, and he tells them, he says, choose you this day. He says, make a choice. But he says in the latter part of the verse, he says, who you will serve. And then he says, we will serve the Lord. So he says, you're going to serve somebody in life. Choose to serve the right person. Choose to serve the Lord. A godly father will be wise enough to schedule the few hours that he has each week. First, he'll schedule the first few hours in the house of God. And then he'll spend the other 160 hours wisely. We all have 168 hours, okay, in the week. It's not that hard to schedule the other things around the, the things of God. Put the things of God first. It's not like we're in the house of God 40 hours a week. Uh, we can make priority for the things that are important to us. And as a godly father, we choose to schedule God's things first, and then we schedule what comes family time and other things secondary. Uh, if we have the option between visiting family or serving the Lord, which comes first? A godly father will have time to serve the Lord. A godly father will have time to serve God. We will serve something, and we ought to be serving the Lord. How many godly fathers? What a temptation, right? Father's Day, if you drive by a lake today, I bet you the lake's going to be full, okay? Uh, if you drive by some place, the place is going to be full. That's where the fathers are going to be instead of in the house of God. A godly father will have time to come serve the Lord, make that his first priority. A godly father can be trusted. He says, we will. Uh, do your children know, Dad, that when you say, we will, that we're actually going to do it? Uh, we will go to church, except mom, mom says we won't, and we won't, okay? Um, a godly father is going to make the decision and follow through on it. We will. We will. He says he's going to serve the Lord consistently. It's a matter of the will, by the way, serving Jesus. It's not a matter of the feelings. Uh, there are many times that I serve the Lord out of will. I choose. I choose. The feelings might not be there. Uh, you might have been hurt. But you know what? You choose to do it out of will, and you choose to have a good spirit out of the will, too. That's a choice. A godly father can be trusted. A godly father also seeks counsel. How many hours are we pouring over this book seeking counsel, fathers? Uh, we wonder how, how we're going to raise our children, and sometimes we haven't even read this book through once. This is God's instruction book, and it ought to be read through regularly. I recommend once a year, and then I recommend the more you fall in love with Jesus, make it a habit to do it even quicker than that. Seek to read through the Word of God consistently. You can't be a good father, you can't have a good marriage without the Word of God. Um, you know, the virus revealed how empty the minds of the people of God were of the Word of God. And that the counsel of a few God-hating news reporters shaped the opinions of, of our pastors, of the people of God. And a godly father ought to seek the counsel from God's Word first, not from their news reporter. Amen? Amen. Loving your neighbor by giving a smile, giving a hug, uh, giving a meal. Those are, those are ways to love our neighbor. And we've kind of forgotten how to love our neighbor. And they've kind of taught us we shouldn't love our neighbor. But still, people need love. You ought to get counsel. A godly father gets counsel before he makes big decisions, big financial decisions. 
godly father makes wise choices, seeking counsel. He says we're going to serve the Lord. If you're going to serve God, you've got to give you counsel. A godly father has time to serve the Lord. A godly father can be trusted. He seeks counsel. But also a godly father brings his family with him. Notice in verse 15, he says, as for me and my house, we. He doesn't say, I'm going to serve God by myself. He says, we're going to do it together. And so that means he's going to nurture his children and his family to come along. He's going to, he's going to encourage them to come along. He's going to teach them it's important. Serving the Lord is a joint effort. We live in a world ravaged by separation. Be careful before you move. Consider the proximity of your move to the Lord's house. Some great friends and uh, a man who was really very faithful in our church in Georgia. And for his job's sake, he moved seven hours away from the church to a town in which he didn't have a church that he could go to. And he chose to, for his job's sake, move there. But you know what? All of his children rebelled. All of his children ran from God. And you know what, my friend? The house of God ought to be a priority. The house of God ought to be a priority. He had the job security, but he didn't have the relationship with God security for the family. And the things of God ought to come first. A godly father brings his family to serve the Lord. Choose. You must choose to serve where we can serve with joy. You must choose to serve with joy. Because uh, a godly father brings his family. By the way, uh, when our children know that we love the things of God, we don't have to tell our children about something sad happened in your life. The kids don't need to know about it, okay? They don't need to know all the sad times. Uh, they need to, yes, they do need to know the reality. But we ought to teach them the things of God are sweet. You say, how did that happen? What if they're sour things? Choose to have a sweet attitude. And uh, by the way, if they see your spirit sweet, call the house of God, they'll want to be with you. They'll want to serve. They'll want to do the things of God. And uh, children can enjoy even cleaning the church. They can enjoy doing things around the house of God if they're taught that it's fun. And uh, they can have fun doing God's work. Let's uh, have Brother Corrine come on up here, Brother. And uh, you and your wife will sing with Brother. And uh, you come up and just take a moment. And Ms. Beth, if you want to join up here with him, and uh, you can introduce your wife and daughter to us. And then um, you guys are going to sing. Thank you so much for coming all the way up here to uh, back to New York, where you were at for many years. Yes, sir. We're very thankful to be at Calvary Baptist Church this morning. Happy Father's Day to everybody. And uh, we, we're going to sing a song uh, that it has an Irish history to it. Uh, actually, someone famous in Irish history named Patrick. Uh, and, you know, more important than Patrick, let me introduce you real quick. This is my wife, Bethany, and uh, this is Macy. And I don't know about the luck of the Irish, but I do believe in the blessings of God because he's given me a great family. And, uh, but the songs are in the same. Uh, Patrick, if there's two things I can tell you about, people call him St. Patrick. Patrick was not Irish, and Patrick was not Catholic. In fact, Patrick was kidnapped from the Roman province of Britain in 400 AD by Irish pirates, kids, by pirates. They took him all the way away from his family. Both his parents were Christians, but just because your parents are Christians doesn't mean you are. And in Ireland, as a 16-year-old, he received Christ as his Savior. He escaped from those pirates. And I tell kids, I don't know how he escaped. Maybe he took the wooden leg away from the pirates and ran away as fast as he could, but he got back home. And when he got back home to Britain, he felt as if God was asking him, why do you think those Irish people were so hurtful towards you? You know what he knew? It's because they were acting like people who didn't have a dad. Didn't have a Heavenly Father. 
and he went back to Ireland as a missionary. And the first week he was back, the Druid king at the time, the pagan king at the time, said this week there'll be no light at all. There'll be no bonfires, no torches. He said we're going to celebrate the darkness. And he said that at the end of the week on Sunday was Easter week. Then the high priest will light my fire and we can have light again in the land. Well, Patrick was a preacher and he knew a good opportunity when he saw one. He went to the hill of Slain. If you look at the hymn book, it's Be Thou My Vision. It's called the Slain Tune. He went to the hill of Slain and he built a huge bonfire that Sunday. And Irish people came from all around. What is this guy doing to find the king? And he started declaring the death, burial, and resurrection of the Irish people that day, that Easter Sunday. That was the start of his ministry. In one generation, Ireland, the land that was completely devoid of the gospel, a land of darkness, the light of the gospel shining through in Ireland. And I tell you that today, that no matter how authoritarian a government can be, no matter how immoral and dark a culture can be, how strong sin can be, the light of the gospel is greater still. And God can still, when we go to Ireland, uh, many times in Europe, and some would say the Northeast, the United States, they would say it's a cold, fruitless place for, for a church, church planting and things like that. But I'd like to tell you that we are constantly expecting God to do great things. We're going to go ahead and sing the song, Be Thou My Vision.
have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And we would love to talk to you at the end of the service. And if you have any questions, there's two things I'll get out of the way for you about Ireland. If you're wondering about Ireland, uh, two common questions is, Ireland, when you think about Ireland, you might think about leprechauns with red hair kicking you in the knee, or uh, Lucky Charm cereal. And they're banned there. They don't have either one of those in Ireland. They're, they're bad stereotypes for them. Uh, but can I tell you that they at least need to have a marshmallows from a Lucky Charm cereal. Okay, that's all you need. You'll be set. Uh, but they don't have those there. Uh, so those questions we have out of the way. Are there leprechauns? No. Lucky Charm cereals? No. They don't have those things. But when you think about Ireland, hopefully in the video you saw the spiritual need. Ireland's the least evangelized English-speaking country in the world. Um, less than 1%, as we said in the video, are plenty evangelical. I use that term kind of loosely. Uh, there's less than 18 gospel-preaching churches like this in Ireland. That's only one for every 288,000 people. So there's many places all throughout the island, such as uh, Kilkenny and uh, Galway, Dundalk, I could go on and on. Places that 50,000 people to 100,000 people, I don't have a church like this. I would love to go to Kilkenny personally, because my, uh, my brother-in-law's name is Kenny. So I just love to call Kilkenny. I just like to say that a lot. <laughs> no, we have a good relationship, I promise. So he texts me, Happy Father's Day. I haven't texted him back yet, but it's, it's good, I promise. But we're so glad to be here. It's been good, Pastor Shed, uh, to get to know uh, your family and some of the other folks in the church. And we had a great meal uh, that Caitlin and your wife made last night. It was awesome. And so we really enjoyed our time here. Uh, but we're going to look this morning in James chapter 1. And with God's help uh, this morning, I want to preach a message titled this, The Truth About God the Father. The Truth About God the Father. And before we read in James 1, I just want to share one quick little testimony before we get into it. Uh, just talking to your pastor and talking to some of the folks in the church already, it's very evident that the church today that's here, the buildings you have, and more importantly, the people that are assembled, it's a result of missions. And you might say, well, what, what does that word missions mean? What are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about missions is when people go and they tell others about Jesus Christ. So when people pray for unsaved people to be saved, it's when people pray for laborers. It's also when people give. It's very evident that the buildings you have but the people God blessed you with. They wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those three things. And one of the reasons why missions is so important to me is it's what God used to reach my family. Uh, in the video I mentioned about the military missions, I was born in Okinawa, Japan. Uh, my, my parents, my dad was in the Marines, my mom was in the Air Force, and they met at a nightclub in Okinawa. They got married three weeks after meeting each other. It was quick. And uh, after being married about a year, things were not looking good at all. My, my dad struggled with some addiction and different things in his life. Things weren't looking good. But I'm very thankful for a man named Sergeant Michael Frederick of Kadena Air Force Base. Twice, he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't. He just went to church faithful. He got a track, gospel track, just like the one you have at your church. He gave it to my mom and said, I want to invite you to Maranatha Baptist Church. It would really help you and your family. You know something? They eventually went. And three months after attending, my dad my mom both got saved. You know, when we hear a story like that, you might wonder, who gets the credit there? And some might say, well, it was a military missionary. For three months, he had to preach to that, that uh, Marine, you know, with his arms crossed, or 
No, it was the it was Michael Frederick. There was people in the states who prayed and gave for the military mission to be there. And the truth is this: is God gets the credit, doesn't He? God gets all the glory. But what's amazing about God is He wants to use people like us. I'm talking about all of us. God wants to use people like all of us. Many times He uses many people just to see one person become a child of God. It's amazing how much God cares for one soul. We're going to talk more about that God this morning, about God the Father, the truth about God the Father. So if you look at James 1 with me, before we read, just to give you a little bit of context of the book of James, James is kind of a postcard. It's kind of a short little book at the, at the end of the Bible. James, the guy who writes this, he was a half-brother of Jesus. Talk about living in a shadow, right? And uh, he was a leader of the Church of Jerusalem, really the first church that was established uh, in the Bible, in the book of Acts and Galatians, it talks to us about the church of Jerusalem. I mean, it was tough for them. They went through famine. Uh, they went through this. They went through a lot of poverty in that area. They went through poverty, but they also went through persecution. Not just from the political leaders. Uh, political leaders didn't like them. In fact, things got so bad at one point they thought that Nero, the emperor of the Roman Empire, that he was the Antichrist. That's how bad it got. He was really he was killing Christians. Uh, but also from the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, right? And they endured all this persecution, they endured uh, this, this, this poverty, and they were going through a time of testing, they're going through times of things that uh, were, were, you could call it temptation. And James is writing this book, this book of James is very practical. And one of the themes of the book of James is he's writing about how to overcome trials in life. How to overcome temptation in our lives. And something he had to do, he, he writes about this in James 1, about having joy and trials, how to overcome temptation and things like this. But he's talking about how a Christian responds to trials and temptations. He gives us some principles that allows us to see trials in our life, allows us to see temptations in our life in the right perspective. Because many times when we think about temptation, as we're going to read here in James 1, and when we think about trials, we kind of start getting a perverted view about who God is. We start getting a warped view of who God the Father is, what, what He is doing, what He is not doing in our lives. I think this morning, as we think about Father's Day, we think about God the Father, I think many people develop a warped view of who God the Father is. Many times they it's based off of their relationship with their earthly father. And maybe that relationship with that earthly father is estranged, or maybe they learned some, something in that relationship. And many times, if we're not careful, we can start looking at God. God, God says, I'm not a man. God says, I'm not a man that I should lie. God says, I don't change. So we should never compare God to an earthly man. But sometimes we do do that. And the best way we can learn today, fathers, about being a good father is to learn from God the Father. I want you to look at James 1 with me. And uh, you look at verse uh, 12, and it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And then verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth any man. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and advice. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. I think this is an error a lot of us make. We start thinking, God, and God, God is giving me this thorn in the flesh in my life, and it's a sinful thing. 
God, that part of the flesh, sometimes we misinterpret that. Uh, God had never tempted the sin. And so you, you see this in verse 17, it tells us, these are our key verses this morning. This is where we're going to get the message from. Verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And come up down from the Father of light, to whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There are many earthly dads today that they might try to be good dads, but they're not godly dads. Uh, many times today, a child, they're their morality, the best, I've, heard, I've heard people say, they say, the best, I see the, the worst of myself in my kids, right? Or I see the best of myself in my kids, and my weaknesses are my children's weaknesses. My strengths are my children's strengths. And unfortunately, many times our children, as they're our greatest disciples, they're our greatest followers, and as they're watching us, they can learn, they can learn sometimes very sinful behavior from us. A lot of children, they learn about gender from their dad, how he, how he carries himself, how he treats uh, the mother, and things like that. And why it's true that an earthly dad can really tempt their children with evil. They can. An earthly dad really can uh, bring trials into their children's life. That is not true about God the Father. That is not true at all. But sometimes we treat God the Father like that is true. Sometimes people will say, well, I have this sin in my life that I, I just, it's a, I feel like I'm in chains to it. I can't get over it. Man, I don't know why God allowed that sin in my life. I don't know why God won't just take this temptation away. I, I don't, and we blame God. And God tells us, he said, don't err. He says, every man, when you sin, it's because you've been drawn away by earth. Don't blame me. I can't tempt any man to be evil. Sometimes they say, oh man, God is cursing me. God is judging me. And to look at God as this old man upstairs just waiting to zap us the first time we do something wrong. When we forget that God's a very balanced God. God is full of grace and God is full of truth. And sometimes in my life, I find myself uh, thinking God in very extreme ways. I can think that God is a lot more judgmental than he really is when it comes to other people. When it comes to other people that I have relationships with, I mean, I think God is a lot harder on their sin than he really is. When it comes to my life, I think God is a lot more cushy and a lot more graceful than sometimes he really is. Maybe it's the opposite for you. Maybe you feel the opposite way. But can I tell you this morning, if we're going to figure out who God the Father truly is, don't look at mankind. Don't look at an earthly father. Don't look at those. But as fathers today, as everybody is trying to figure out who God the Father really is, we need to look at what the Scripture says. So this morning, we're going to look at the truth about God the Father, uh, and we're going to see, as we would say in the South, we're going to see four reasons why we should holler about the Father, okay? So first this morning, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God's help, we're going to jump in, and these are, we're going to get four quick things about who God the Father truly is. Heavenly Father, thank you again for being so good to us. Lord, I'm thankful that you want to be a father to the fatherless. Lord, I'm thankful that even when you are a father, we're estranged from you. You sort of desperately want a relationship with us, and you draw us to yourself. Lord, I pray that every need, every spiritual need, every uh, concern of someone's heart this morning, Lord, I pray that you meet those needs. Uh, Lord, you understand. You came to earth as a man. You were wounded. Uh, you, were, you were rejected. 
you are a man of sorrows or a of grief. I thank you for that. So Lord, I pray you meet our spiritual needs this morning. Help us to get a biblical perspective of who you really are. And we see all these things in your name. Amen. I want you to notice first this morning that God the Father, He cares. He cares. How can we say God the Father, He cares? Well, in verse 17, it tells us that God the Father, He shows He, he that He cares for us because He gives us good gifts, but He also gives us perfect gifts. He gives us every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from the Father. And a lot of times we'll say, oh no, you know, I, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made person. The reason why I have my lifted truck, the reason why I have my boat, the reason why I have my house is because I worked hard by the sort of my own pride. Well, hey, listen, we wouldn't have that blood pumping in our veins. We wouldn't have that breath in our lungs if it wasn't for God giving us the gift of life. So every gift we have in our life, every good thing we have in our life, we can give credit to God. Whether you're saved or whether you're not saved, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a non-Christian, every good thing in your life, God deserves credit. You think about a good gift, and the Bible tells us this is how God thinks about giving good gifts to us. In Luke 11, 11 through 13, Jesus is speaking. He says, that the Son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give a, uh, for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If he shall offer him a scorpion? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? God wants to give us good gifts in our life. And before you start thinking, oh man, God wants to give me a million dollars. God wants me to get that new 2021, 2022 Chevy Camaro fully loaded, but that, that thing, that's a write all this down. Uh, but before we think all that, what is a good gift? You know God's standard of what's good is sometimes very different than what ours is. For example, Macy's standard of what is a good gift for her father to give her is very different than what my standard is. Macy thinks it would be very good for me to give her ice cream every day, all day, for the rest of time she's in her house. She thinks that would be a small idea. She thinks I should give her candy from that uh, teapot. Kids, by the way, if you colored out paper, we have some candy for you. We gave some of the kids. If your kid didn't get a paper, please grab one. But Macy thinks ice cream all the time. But I know if I give Macy ice cream all the time, even though she thinks that's good, she's going to get diabetes and all this stuff. And man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give her ice cream every single day for the rest of her life. Um, but Maybe I do need to feed her some vegetables, and to her, she does not think those vegetables are good at all. There's many things that I give Macy, I try to teach her that in her mind, this is not good, this is not pleasant, I don't like this, but they are very loving, they're, they're done in a love, and it's a, it's a good gift. Sometimes in our life, when God might allow a trial to come, God doesn't tempt us, but God can allow trials to come in our lives. And as those come, every, every fiery trial is Father building. And as those come into our lives, sometimes we think, oh, this is not a good gift. I don't need this. I don't need that. I, why is this happening? And many times what we don't consider a good gift, those are actually good gifts from the Father. So he gives us good gifts, but I also want you to see that he gives us perfect gifts. What, could, what kind of gifts could he give us that are completely 
completely, absolutely perfect. And uh, Bethany, my wife, is saying, well, God gave me a husband, a perfect husband who does no wrong. He gave me a perfect, no, that's not, he gave her a good, I don't know, maybe a good gift. He definitely, I definitely not a perfect gift, right? Uh, but some of, some of you are thinking that. You're like, man, my kids, they're good gifts, but they're not perfect gifts. They're not perfect by any means. So what is God saying when he's saying that he's given us perfect gifts? Well, I, per- I think first, a perfect gift he's given us is a sword. The sword of the Word of God. The, the Bible, that is, it is perfect. The Bible tells us all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good works. Perfect, what does that word mean? Biblically, it means, means complete. It means whole. So God's given us a Bible that is without error. It is pure. Uh, it, is, it has been perfectly preserved. It will endure forever. The grass can wither. The flower can fade. But the word of our God shall stand forever, the Bible tells us. So the word of God is a perfect gift he's given us. But he's also given us uh, the spirit. In Galatians 3, 3, it, uh, he tells us, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect? By the flesh. You cannot become a Christian. You cannot be saved and be part of the family of God apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one uh, who regenerates us. The Holy Spirit is the one who baptizes us. We're not talking about uh, speaking in tongues. We're talking about salvation. And uh, you see here that the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit to become a child of God. But God says, after you become a child of God, you still need my Holy Spirit to live properly as a child of God. You think you can begin with the Holy Spirit, but you don't want to continue with them? So God's given us two perfect gifts, the Holy Spirit who can guide us. He can illuminate the Scripture uh, as we're reading it. He's given us those two perfect gifts. And how disappointing it is as a father when you have done a lot of preparation, you've gotten a good gift, and your your child, I, I, I think that, uh, and your child does not want to play with it. Your child does not want to use it. It's this parking. And God has given us gifts that are perfect that we need to make good use of. So first, I want you to see this morning is He cares. He gives us good and perfect gifts. I want you to see secondly this morning is that God, He is, God the Father is constant. Constant. If you look at verse 17, in the second part of the verse, it says, those gifts come from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning be a good idea for a father to try to give good gifts, to try to give perfect gifts to his children. Pass down the word of God. Pass down, uh, be filled with the spirit of God. Uh, it would be good for a father to be constant, to be someone he can rely on. Someone who's not given to change and wishy-washy every which way. Sometimes we have a warped view, like I was saying, of God, and we can think that God is not constant. I've heard people say it all the time. They'll say, you know what? I don't think God loves me anymore. Because all these bad things are happening in my life, which many times are because of consequences of sin. But they want to blame God. God's him to me, it's God's fault. God's all out all this stuff, and I just feel like I pray, I try to talk to God, I just feel so far away from God, and God just, God's kind of gone away from me. And, and God, I don't feel close to God anymore, and God doesn't really, God, God's disappointed with me. God's mad at me. God is judging me. God is cursing me. And God is, it's almost as if they're saying, God's just kind of abandoned me. God has left me. And that's how they feel emotionally. They, they feel that. They think that in their mind. 
But we see a simple truth in this verse. God says he compares God the Father not changing as the Father of lights. Sun and stars, you think about the sun, the sun doesn't move. The sun always gives out light. But yet as the earth moves away from the sun, as the earth is rotating, there comes darkness. And while it might feel like God is changing, and God is changing his love for us, and God is being distant, it's not God, God hasn't moved. It is us that have turned away from him. Mark my words, if you ever feel distant from God, you ever feel far away from God, God desperately wants you to turn back around. God desperately, he's that light, he's always shining, he's always there. The light, the Father of light, there's no variableness, there's no shadow of turning, he's there. But he's waiting for us to say, I'm going to come back to you. The prodigal son, he ran away, didn't he? But his father stayed where he was at, waiting for his son to return. So I want to challenge you this morning, when you think about God the Father, don't look at him as this distant person who's trying to, he doesn't want to be around. Think about him as someone who's beckoning you to turn back around. He's a father of lights. He doesn't change. He hasn't moved away from us. But oftentimes, we do move away from him. He's always consistent. He's always constant uh, with us. And can I tell you that any time, as a father, I'm inconsistent with my daughter Macy, it hurts her. Uh, we made her mom will say, okay, uh, Macy, you have to, you, you're, you're not allowed to have the candy at the table every single time we're in church, okay? We have, she can have it sometimes, but all the time. But if her mom's telling her one thing, I'm telling the other thing, inconsistent doesn't make sense. I'm so glad that we have a father. He's consistent with us. He's consistent in his love. He's consistent in his truth, his judgment. He's consistent in his grace, his long suffering. He's always consistent. He's always constant lives. So we see that God is constant, that God cares, God the Father, but thirdly, God the Father, He creates. This is the truth about Him. If you look at verse 18, of His own will begat He us of the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. This world that we live in, no matter what people try to say, this world is created. We're fearfully and wonderfully made in our soul. We knoweth it right way. We're not a cosmic accident. Uh, we, we, we're, not, we, we're not a product of our winning evolution. No, we're created in the image of God. And so we see this truth that God creates us. I remember my, I heard this phrase from my dad. Maybe some of you dads you've said this maybe out of uh, anger, maybe out of joking. I don't know. But you've heard this phrase. How many have heard this phrase? I brought you to this world and I can take you out. You ever hear that before? And uh, my dad had that marine edge to him, so I heard that a couple times myself. Not too many, but a couple times. And can I tell you that God the Father, why that, why God the Father can definitely do that, can he? He brought us into this world. Light comes from him. He can take us out when it's when it's our time as well. And so God the Father, he creates, he gives life. And just consider the physical life that he gives us. By his own will, he, he created us, Okay. Consider this. I want you to take your fist out real quick and just kind of hold it in front of you. You know, your fist is about the size of your heart. And your fist, your, your heart, it pumps blood to your body 3.3 billion times in your life. 3.3 billion times your heart is beating 
I'm uh, 115,000 times a day. Maybe you have AFib or, or something like that. Maybe it's a little bit faster, a little bit slower. I don't know. Uh, but can I tell you, your heart, it constantly is pumping. And can I tell you, every time that 150,000 times a day, thank you, God. Thank you, God. That life comes from Him. Do you know the blood that our heart is pumping throughout our, all of our body? You have 10 pints of blood that flow through your body. 10 pints. They flow through 60,000 miles of veins and arteries and capillaries all throughout your body. We're fearfully, we're wonderfully made. You have 1,300 touch receptors per square inch of your hand. Aren't you glad that you can feel like you can touch? This next statement, this might not be true of teenagers, but this is definitely true of most, most everybody else. You can have 10 new thoughts of information every second. <laughs> 70,000 thoughts per day. I don't know how they come up with this, okay? But I can refer to the scientific articles I read about this. It's amazing the human body that God has given us. The physical life that God has given us, how it works, but what yet we want to say it all came from a cosmic accident sometimes. You know, God created us wonderfully. But He didn't only give us physical life that we can praise Him and thank Him for, but we also need to give. And we also need to be thankful for the eternal life he offers us as well. It tells us in verse 17, it, uh, verse 18, it says, Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. Do you know salvation, another way we have a work view of God the Father, is we think that the way we get saved by our own will. We have a free will to choose, but we can never become a child of God if it wasn't for him dying on the cross for us. Many times of our own will, we say, oh, by my own will. And James talks about this. I'm going to work, and I'm going to try to do all these good works to get to heaven. I'm going to try to go to church when I can. I'm not going to try to be a moral person. And maybe if I'm good enough, my good will outweigh my bad. But God says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, not, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. In Titus uh, chapter 3, uh, in, in verse 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So with the eternal life that we that God offers to us, can I tell you, it would only be possible if God chose us. We love him because he first loved us. God has chosen us. He's ordained us to bring forth fruit, the Bible tells us. So God, salvation, we have a free will to choose to be saved. Don't let anybody ever tell you about that evil doctrine of Calvinism that God ordains some people to be saved and some others not to. No, we know 2 Peter 3 9 that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But can I tell you this morning, don't trick yourself, don't believe that, hey, I'm going to have eternal life by what I do. It's not by your works, it's through His grace, it's through what He's done for you cross. It's not for you following a bunch of rules to get to heaven. It's by trusting in your relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior. So we see that he creates. I want you to see lastly this morning, not only does he create and he, he cares uh, and he is constant, he's consistent. I want you to see this. Is he considers you first. If you look at verse, that verse again, verse 18, it tells us that we should be a kind of first fruits creatures. We're more important to God the Father 
than any hobby, than any possession, than an animal. We're more important to God. God says we're the first one. All this creation, we're the most important to God. And don't just think about it as a journal. Mankind is important. You are important to God. You're the first fruits. You have a priority to him than a tree, than uh, natural gas, and solar panels. He doesn't care about it. You, you have a priority to him more than a kitten or a puppy or a seal that has oil on his nose and the oil spilled. You're more important to God than anything. And you might say, oh man, you're, you don't believe in green energy. You actually sold solar panels in California okay, to pay for college. But my point is this. Is you're more important to God than all this creation. Be specific. The Bible tells us in Luke 12, 6 through 7, are not five sparrows sold for two markets? And not one of them is compounded before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. God considers you first, and He considers you. He thinks about you so much. So think about this. He knows how many hairs are on your head, which changes. It changes. Some of us, as our hair is thinning and the wind blows it, a few hairs just left that way. As you take a shower, some hair leaves that way. Some of us, are we have hair growing on our forehead, you know, like you wake up in the morning, you're like, whoa, where did that come from? And all this stuff. And God constantly knows how many hairs are on your head. He must be thinking about us a lot to constantly be aware of how many hairs we have on our head. God thinks about us a lot. He considers us first. We're very important. We have high value to God. It's sad today, but I believe there's many kids today who feel like their earthly dad values so many other things more than them. He cares more about his career than me. He cares more about his uh, his shooting than me. He cares more about uh, he cares more about making money. He cares more about that four-wheeler. He cares more about that boat. He cares more about his friends that he goes golf with. He cares more about all that than me. There's many kids who feel that way, that when it comes to priorities, they're one of the least of their dads. I'm so thankful today that when we think about our Heavenly Father, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that, hey, God is a high value. And dads, we can learn from that God the Father, that God the Father, when it comes to all the things he can put value on in this world, his position, his power, all these things, he puts a lot of value on us. And we should learn from that. So we see he considers us first. A good other question we could ask ourselves do we consider God first? God puts such a high value on us. Do we put a bird? Do we put an animal? Do we put a hobby? Do we put politics? Do we put something else above our God? God says, when it comes to creation, you're my first creation. You're the most important. I think it would be good for every Christian today to say, by the way, dads, we cannot properly love our children unless we love God. Why? Because the Bible says the first and the greatest commandment is to love God with your heart, your soul, and your mind. The second is like unto it. Then thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these hang all the laws and the prophets. So if we can learn to love God and make him a glory in your life, can I tell you that loving others, loving our family, that's going to come easy. We can learn that first part of loving God first. In conclusion this morning, 
I believe God wants to motivate us to respond to trials and temptations in this life that's broken where we live in. I think we could respond to it better if we meditated on the truth of God the Father. Really, it's that life comes from Him, spiritual life comes from Him. He considers us first, He cares for us, He's given us some good and perfect gifts to use in this life. If we consider that He's constant, He doesn't change, we can rely on Him. And I want to just ask you this question this morning. How do we make God our When you have a good father, everybody, I even think people whose father isn't the best, we want to make our fathers proud. That's ingrained in a child. We want to make our dads proud, no matter who they are. But when we have a good father, we have a good, perfect father, how can we make the father proud? I actually want you to look at one more verse with me in James 1.27, and we'll be done. In James 1.27, uh, before this, God gives us a list of things. Uh, after verse 18, verse 19, he says, Wherefore, he's saying, hey, because of God's a good father, these are some things you should do. He talks about not being angry, about being slow to speak. He talks about being a student of the word of God. But then at the last, in verse 27, he says, hey, because God is such a good father, wherefore, because of, of that truth I told about God the Father, verse 27, he says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I think one of the best ways we can make God the Father proud this morning is to say, you know what? I'm going to visit the fatherless. Me and my wife, we, at, at, at our church, at Franklin Baptist Church, we had the privilege of working on a bus route, and what, what that did is we would take a bus, we'd go to a neighborhood, uh, parents would let us bring the kids to church, we would teach them about Jesus. And probably about 75% of the kids who were on the bus, they either didn't have a dad or they didn't know who their dad was. They were estranged from him or they didn't even know who he was. And usually when they first came on the bus, they didn't want to talk to you. They, moms made them be there. They didn't want to sing. They didn't hear about the Bible story. They made a mess. They didn't want to be there. But as we've seen some of those kids decide to become a Christian themselves and get saved, and they got a heavenly father in their life, and what started happening? Things just changed. Life. They were transformed from the inside out. Because you know something? Many times we get frustrated with people around us in this world. You know what they're acting like? They're acting like people who don't have a good dad. They're acting like people who don't have a father. They're acting like people who are fatherless. And the best thing we can do to make our Heavenly Father proud is say, you know what? I'm going to introduce you to God the Father. And can I tell you, we can't do it if we're not keeping ourselves with spotted anymore. Because when you're all spotty, they're not going to see God the Father, they're just going to see you. But when we can try to say, I'm going to try to keep myself clean from sin, try our best to do that, then they're going to start seeing God the Father in you. So I want to challenge you this morning to make the Father proud. I want to ask you to bow your hands with me and close your eyes. I'm going to ask Pastor Chitz uh, here soon that he would go ahead and uh, continue however the Lord leads him. But I want to challenge you this morning how is your relationship with God the Father? Do you know God the Father? Maybe you're here today and you say, Brother Josh, I, I've heard about this Christian thing. And to be honest with you, I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I don't really have a relationship with God, to be honest with you. Can I tell you, the Bible tells us this, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons of God. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You can't become a child of God by working for it on your own, just trying to be a good person. You only can do it by putting your faith and trust 
in Jesus Christ alone. He wants to forgive you for sins. He wants to give you a home in heaven. I want to challenge you this morning here and you say, Brother Josh, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. And I tell you, you can know. And God wants to be a father to the followers. That's Pastor Shetty. Go ahead and continue how the word leads him. Let's all stand together this morning. Stand together. We'll get to bow as closed in a moment. We'll play a song. But before we do, let's just take a moment before the Lord. We came to church to worship God. Amen. We want our hearts to be drawn tonight again. I challenge you, a father, to challenge you, mother, to challenge you, single adults, children, young people, every person. Take a moment right now and just say, Lord, help me to know you better. Help me to walk in greater love with you. Some of you in the room, friend, you don't know Jesus yet. But it'd be the greatest thing in your life to give your life to Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you. If God's talking at your heart, you come seek me out afterwards. Seek my wife out. I want to talk with you. We'll give you some answers. We'd love to meet with you later on in the week. We have time for that. We schedule that. We'll schedule it in a moment's notice. We'll get to doctors at home and things like that. Those things are important to us. You want to meet with God? You want to talk about how to meet with God? How to meet with God? We'll make time for you. We'll dispense no room. My friend, if you're in the room and you're a Christian, your heart's backslidden from the Lord. It's colder than you were before. Would you just come back to the his arms are open. His arms are open. I challenge you, dear Christian, it's been a while since you really had that warm, warming in your spirit when God truly met with you. Would you just meet with him today? Lord, forgive me for letting other things come between me and you. Lord, I choose to put you first today. I choose to put you first. There's a piano begins to play. You just do business with God. Whatever God leads you to do, you want to come forward and pray. You're welcome to do that. You want to pray in your seat. You're welcome to do that. Thank each of you for watching my way of life streaming. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. 